John Cassidy is the co-founder and CEO of Lucem Health. They're a leading provider of transformational clinical AI technology and solutions. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks, George. It's great to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on. Tell us a little about your personal lives, more about your work, why you do what you do. Well, my wife and I live with two teenagers uh, in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. We're Midwesterners, but we decided to head south about 20 years ago, um, you know, for the obvious reasons, weather and so forth. Um, I've been working in enterprise software my whole career, uh, but I've been in digital health for about 20 of those years. Um, I've become very, very passionate about the ability for technology to help transform how we deliver healthcare. Um, and that's the project that we're working on now with some health. It's very, very much focused on how do we deliver better care um, to patients and people in general. I appreciate that. As you have been in, in software for, for 20 years, did you see AI coming? Did anybody see AI coming or is it obvious? It, I, that's an interesting question. I mean, uh, obvious, I don't know how obvious it was. Um, we've been doing predictive analytics. We've been using regression models and other statistical techniques in healthcare for a long time. And I think if you just think about the evolution of technology generally and think about things like analytics specifically, it's sort of inevitable or it was inevitable or natural that we wind up in the place that we are today. I, what, I, what I don't think we could have predicted necessarily was how incredibly powerful and almost magical large language models like like OpenAI, ChatGPT are. Uh, that was something I personally did not see coming. What we do is not large language models. It's not the magical stuff. Um, we are using mach really machine learning algorithms uh, to find signals in the noise of data that human beings and traditional statistical techniques cannot find. It is a form of AI but it's not necessarily winding up on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. More of a needle in the haystack. Exactly. That is sort of the approach. Now, it turns out, and I'm sure you and I will get into it, these techniques actually are very valuable and can be very powerful and very impactful um, for patients and for doctors. So you're looking around software, you're looking around healthcare, you're interested in, in helping have an impact. What is, are the problems that, that you said, I think we can make a dent in this. Well, we, you know, there are so many issues with our healthcare system and I know you, you cover, you know, those issues in your conversations here. We are motivated by a particular concern right now that providers have, or let's say a couple of concerns. One is, is that they are under extreme financial pressure. Their margins have been highly compressed. They're struggling to make money. Um, and, and look, we need our healthcare providers to be healthy financially in order for them to be able to deliver care to us. The other thing which is overlapping and operating side by side with that is an acute resource shortage that is only going to get worse. We're going to be short tens of thousands of doctors, many tens of thousands of nurses and technicians and others over the coming years. That's a huge problem. Uh, and so we're motivated by how can we help with those two highly intersected, you know, slash overlapping 
problems that providers face while at the same time also doing good in the world and helping patients. That makes a lot of sense. The The notion that our healthcare providers need to be financially healthy, it seems really obvious, but I don't know that I've ever really thought about that before. Yeah, I, I don't think... I don't think that the general public really appreciates how difficult it is to be in the healthcare business right now. And in the United States, of course, it it is a business. Um, It is a, you know, it employs a huge number of people. Um, These are well-paying jobs. These are important jobs. And, um, you know, they are, they're, they suffer from changes in reimbursement models, whether that comes from Medicare and Medicaid or from private insurance companies who tend to follow the government's lead. Um, inflation has been a problem. The cost of everything that goes into delivering healthcare has gone up. Wages have gone up and so on and so forth. So like a lot of businesses that have suffered in recent years, they're no exception. So, how how are you working to address the shortages? Right. So this is where the technology comes in and where the, the AI machine learning stuff can be really interesting and quite powerful. So we ask ourselves kind of a what if question. What if we could help healthcare providers deliver more with the resources they already have? So imagine uh, a clinician, a doctor, a nurse. Right. who when they they go into the exam room or when they go into the clinic, imagine if the clinical value of what they deliver is higher during the day, during the week. The meaning that they are, you know, they are able to find more diseases, make more diagnoses. They are able to be more productive they, and so on and so forth. So if we can help them, we can make their jobs easier in effect and allow them to do more without, to do more good without doing more, we sometimes say, um, then that can be hugely beneficial in terms of the productivity of those resources. Then, of course, if you have more productive resources, then you can see a financial benefit from doing that. The way we all get richer, right, is, and we all get better off is by increasing productivity. Healthcare, again, no exception. Which makes sense. So what are some actual use cases? How does that? Yeah. 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 So so what we're doing is really quite simple. Um, there is a tremendous amount of data in healthcare. So over the past decade plus, we went through a process of digitizing health records. The government provided a lot of financial incentives to do so. Um, so most healthcare records these days, particularly in hospitals and clinics, the places we normally go, are digitized. We have uh, machines, you know, modalities, right? Telemetry devices collecting a lot of information from patients, either in inpatient settings, increasingly in outpatient settings. Think of ECGs, uh, x-ray, CT images, that kind of stuff. Again, digitized and available, right? So you've got all this data and it's sitting there, right? And what is where did that data come from? Well, when we go to the doctor's office or we wind up, God forbid, in the emergency room, or we have a surgery or whatever, there's this data being collected. And then presumably we get better, we get discharged and we leave. Right. And Bob's your uncle. It's my father, my Liverpudlian father likes to say, right. But this data is sitting there and there's so much value in it. 
And that value is hiding in plain sight. So what we're doing is we are using very powerful, very novel machine learning algorithms to go in and not a, not quite mine the data, but to do very specific kinds of analyses looking for risks of certain diseases. Now, I'll give you the simplest example. I think most of your listeners will, will it will resonate with them. We have a solution focused on, on lower GI, right, on colonoscopies. So we go in to a provider's healthcare data set, and we select patients between 45 and 75 who are overdue for their screening colonoscopy. By the way, this is millions of patients. Most. (laughs) Yes. People don't like colonoscopies. I just had mine two weeks ago. It's not a lot of fun, but it's a very important thing. So, so people are overdue and they're avoiding that procedure, which can be a life-saving thing, right? We need a certain, a certain clinical observation, a lab value, not really so important, but we take that data and we run it through our solution. And what pops out on the other end is the top three to 5% of patients who are at highest risk for a significant finding when they do appear for their colonoscopy. A significant finding is cancer, an adenoma, polyps, et cetera. And what we find when we run it through these very sophisticated algorithms is eight to 10 times more cancers than if we'd selected from that population at random. More than double the adenomas and polyps. Okay, so now let's come back to what we were saying before. So why is that useful, right? So we surface this list of patients And we have clinical staff, it's not doctors, not nurses, but it's office staff, it's care coordinators. They reach out to the patients. And George, it turns out that, you know, people will ignore those letters they get from their insurance companies saying, you got to get your colonoscopy, you got to get your colonoscopy. But if your healthcare provider calls you and says, George, we went and we looked at your records proactively and we found something, you know, you're naughty, you're overdue for your colonoscopy. You really need to come in because there's potentially some risk there and you don't want colon cancer. The response rate you get to that is amazing. It's 70 plus percent of people do end up actually presenting, appearing for their colonoscopy. And again, when they do, we find more stuff. Well, so let's talk about about benefits of that. And let's come back to the productivity question and what it does for providers. So for a patient, Finding cancer early is a game changer. It's so much easier to treat a stage one colon cancer than a stage three or stage four colon cancer, which can be a death, you know, be a death sentence. So that's great for the patients. What about for the providers? Well, you've got gastroenterologists working in the GI suite. They just see patient after patient after patient, right? But if the yield from what they're already doing is higher, they're finding more cancers and more adenomas, they're doing more good. And the whole system around them is more productive because again, let's be crass about it, but there are real dollars associated with treating cancers, right? I mean, it costs quite a lot of money to treat a cancer. Mm -hmm. It costs more money to, to treat patients with adenomas and so on. And so there is a financial benefit that accrues to providers, but it also is making the providers doing those procedures more productive. Basically, every solution that we're delivering with AI, George, operates roughly the same way. 
We grab some data, we run it through an algorithm. We're finding patients at higher risk for a certain disease. It could be a cancer, it could be diabetes, it could be stroke risk. That's a solution we just launched. And then we get those patients to present into the healthcare system and we allow doctors to just be doctors to confirm a diagnosis if there is one, and then to put that patient on a treatment plan so that they can avoid winding up in the ER. They can avoid dying from cancer and so on. That's what we do. Seems like a no-brainer. That's what we think, yeah. Um, you know, we are very gratified and we're, we're not geniuses. We've been doing this a long time and we're definitely, you know, we've, we've come through the school of hard knocks. Um, but we are gratified that the response to the approach we're taking, which is very simple, it's easy to integrate into the existing care delivery workflows and system. Uh, it's been very positive. So that feels good. We're going to keep doing it as long as we can do it. It makes a lot of sense. In terms of privacy concerns, regulatory stuff, how is that? How, 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 how has that been? Yeah. Um, so great question. And something we should all be concerned about, as uh, your listeners are probably aware, we have a lot of rules and regulations about the use of healthcare data and the privacy and protection uh, associated with healthcare data. We are just at the level of our operating model and culture and values, extraordinarily careful with healthcare data. We've been, our team, we have, I don't know how many decades on our team of working in digital health and health technology. Um, that's one of the many things that keeps me up at night is the idea of a data breach. So we're extraordinarily careful um, with patient data. We are allowed as what's called a business associate of a provider. So we enter into an agreement with our provider partners to be able to use existing healthcare data to serve patients, to help treat patients better. So if you think about what we're doing here, we are we are legitimately trying to help deliver better care. We're trying to find patients who have cancers or diabetes or these other things. And so we are allowed to do that. So from a data perspective, there's sort of a longstanding set of norms associated with, with the kinds of things we're doing. So that's good. On the regulatory side, the FDA has started to regulate uh, AI machine learning algorithms as medical devices under certain circumstances, in particular when they are used for diagnostic purposes. So there are tools out there where I can run, let's say, an ECG, you know, the output of an ECG through it, and it will diagnose AFib. It will say, George, you've got AFib, or you have some other condition of the heart. And Doctors are allowed to rely on that information as a, as a diagnosis, just as if you got a diagnostic test on your blood. What we're delivering is a clinical decision support tool that is upstream from diagnosis. We are not a diagnostic tool. And so we are not subject, at least right now, to regulation by the FDA. Things are very fluid at FDA as it relates to software and technology, because obviously we can move software so much faster than we can move, let's say, a molecule, the development of a drug. Um, and I think the FDA is actually doing a really good job of trying to create a framework where we can all feel comfortable that these technologies are being appropriately used to deliver care while giving innovators degrees of freedom to be able to continue to move things forward again for the benefit of all of us. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And that certainly makes sense. Who are who are your clients? I imagine it, it just listening, it makes sense to me. I apologize that 
one of the big challenges for insurance companies and really for employers is rising costs when somebody gets really, really, really sick. So this strikes me as this is a wonderful wellness tool to help people to stay healthy and to get in front of these things like you've been talking about. So I, I'm sure that insurance companies are probably pleased and employers are pleased. Yeah, so insurance companies have a very strong interest and incentive in um identifying diseases or detecting diseases earlier. It is less expensive to treat a stage one cancer than a stage three cancer. It is less expensive to have a patient on a therapy like a blood thinner or whatever, statin or whatever, uh, rather than having them show up on their back in the emergency room and so on. So payers absolutely care about this. You asked who, who are customers, who are we working with? We work with providers. We are trying to help providers deliver more proactive care, deliver better medicine, and solve for these productivity and margin issues that I mentioned before. However, we are working on a set of relationships with folks like payers and others who see the value of what it is we are delivering and are willing to and interested in sponsoring the deployment of these solutions at providers. It's something that payers have been doing for quite a while now which is helping providers to the extent providers want their help, right? Deploy technology. It all makes sense. Just the more hands you can get into the, certainly the better, but at the end of the day, you need to get in front of people and, and make your case. And I'm sure that the buying decisions are, are not necessarily fast ones, but maybe I'm wrong. Mm, they're, they're not, um, you know, because providers are financially stressed uh, and have invested a lot in technology over the last decade plus. I mentioned that before, digitizing health records. A lot of those investments have not paid off the way they expected. And so their, their IT teams are often focused on trying to get value out of investments they've already made. Mm. If you can come in, though, with a very clear value proposition and ROI, and you can show that it's simple and straightforward to deploy. Uh, we find a very receptive market for that sort of thing, even when times are tough economically, financially uh, in the industry. And then just to your other point, yes, healthcare delivery in the United States is a partnership between providers, payers, drug companies and device manufacturers, employers, you mentioned them before, the government, in various forms, either at the local and state level or at the national level. And so we should all have an interest in helping, though, at the tip of the spear, that's it, helping our hardworking doctors and nurses and technicians and other others deliver better care. That's where we're focused. Love it. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks certainly for, for all your work. Where can people learn more about you? How can they connect with Lucem Health? Well, please come find us at uh, lucidhealth.com. We've got some good material out there. We are publishing white papers and other things on AI and on early disease detection. So if people are interested in learning more, we'd love to see you there. And we, we talk to everybody. So uh, so come chat with us and we'll, we'll share more about what we're up to. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Sean your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to lucemhealth.com. That's L-U-C-E-M health.com and check out everything that we've been talking about today and so much more. Thanks again, Sean. It's a pleasure, George. Thank you. Until next time, remember, 
do your part by doing your best.